0: Good evening, everyone. Today, uh, I'm doing the Lead Boldly podcast number three. I'm going to be talking about the 10 skills every entrepreneur needs to develop. So the world is changing. Uh, new societal circumstances require new sets of skills. The first world is shifting towards the fourth industrial revolution, defined as the fusion of technologies which blur the lines between the digital, physical, and biological spheres. With advances in robotics, artificial intelligence, nanotechnology, quantum computing, biotechnology, The Internet of Things, 3D printing, and autonomous vehicles characterizing it. In this new era, often called the information economy, workers aren't valued for their productivity on the assembly line, or for their ability to work productively as a wheel within a globalized conglomerate. They're valued for their ability to innovate rapidly to outpace the competition. From 1955 to 2016, only 12% of the Fortune 500 companies have maintained their place atop the pecking order. Schumpeter coins this process in his 1942 paper, Capitalism, Socialism, and Democracy, Creative Destruction, the New Eating the Old, when innovation deconstructs long-standing arrangements and frees resources to be deployed elsewhere. This process is accelerating. The cost of entrepreneurship have declined by a factor of 10 twice over in the last few decades, from an estimated 500,000 decades ago to $50,000 during the dot-com era, and now to $5,000. This, however, doesn't mean more businesses are succeeding. In fact, entrepreneurship defines the number of new companies as a share of U.S. business is rapidly declining. I believe the push-pull of these converging trends is creating an interesting opportunity. We're at a point where anyone with economic stability can start a new company, yet fewer and fewer companies are being successfully started. Why? Let's look to the World Economic Forum of 2016 Future of Jobs report for an answer. This new era is requiring new skills from workers, skills which our education systems are in some respects failing to provide. The most interesting implication of this research lies in the opportunity available to anyone who can cultivate these new skills in themselves. For that reason, the purpose of this podcast is to show you what these ten skills are and an understanding of how you can develop them within yourself. So the model for these ten skills is based off the ONET content model, the EU entrecom framework, and the specific skill names we're taking from the World Economic Forum. Um, At the end of each skill, I'll list some tools, models, or frameworks which are useful for approaching these skills, and in the future, I'll be doing some more write-ups and podcasts about some of the naughtier skills, Um, so stay tuned for those. So The 10 skills every entrepreneur needs to develop. 1. Complex Problem Solving. Complexity is defined as the number of variables or inputs into a system. Take managing a team as an example. Each additional team member adds their own desires, competencies, work patterns, and perspectives to the team. This makes the team more complex both because of their added inputs, but also because of the, those inputs' interactions within the existing inputs of the team. Defined by, defined by Nobel Prize winner H.A. Simon, the capacity of the human mind for formulating and solving complex problems is very small compared with the size of the problems whose solution is required for objectively rational behavior in the real world, or even for a reasonable approximation to such objective rationality. Basically, every new factor makes a problem exponentially more complex. Jim Collins defines complex problems as big, hairy, audacious goals. These goals, like combating the mental health crisis in my hometown of Toronto, Canada, have multiple stakeholders, root causes, semi-viable solutions, and more, making even understanding them incredibly complex. Having heuristics or frameworks to tackle understanding, framing, solving, and implementing solutions to complex problems is, and will continue to be, critical to entrepreneurs worldwide who desire to make an impact. Tools for this problem are the Ishikawa or fishbone diagrams, root cause analysis, the impact gap canvas, and the McKinsey problem-solving method. Skill two, critical thinking. Critical thinking goes hand-in-hand with complex problem-solving. The simple definition for critical thinking is it is clear, logical argument construction done through clearly defining your statements and then organizing them into arguments or conclusions. For example, if A, then B, A, so B. If I make a coffee, I will drink it. I just made a coffee, so I'm drinking it. This is useful, and any entrepreneur should cut their teeth on basic logical argument construction. However, there are issues projecting the critical thinking process into the chaos of solving big hairy audacious goals or bags. That's why I prefer the following approach. When solving problems, we internally create simplified models or abstractions of reality, which help us to process the critical elements of that scenario. Step one then of critical thinking is our capacity to both funnel the sensory stimulus of the world into discrete data points and then create meaning from those data points in the form of increased understanding about reality at one specific moment in time. Step two is to create webs over time of these data points, which give us an understanding of reality that's accurate, projectable to other situations and consistent across time. This process is constantly ongoing moment to moment. In fact, you're doing it right now as you listen to this podcast. By understanding this process, of processing the information dump of reality, we can more efficiently draw potent conclusions which compounded over time give us the rich cognitive capacity to work with complex problems. The ongoing process of honing this capability is known as crystallized intelligence. It is defined as one's lifetime of intellectual achievement as demonstrated largely through one's vocabulary and general knowledge. Tools for this are the logical fallacy map. Skill three, creativity. Creativity is defined in the innovator's DNA as your ability to generate innovative ideas, uh, not merely as a function of the mind, but also as a function of five key behaviors that optimize your brain for discovery. These five key behaviors are associating or drawing connections between questions, problems, or ideas from unrelated fields, questioning or posing queries that challenge common wisdom, observing or scrutinizing the behavior of customers, suppliers, and competitors to identify new ways of doing things, networking or meeting people with different ideas and perspectives and experimenting or constructing interactive experiences and provoking unorthodox responses to see what insights emerge this model is fascinating for a number of reasons one chose the leap humans uniquely make once we understand the problem finds the patterns which enable us to synthesize solutions and also shows creativity can be learned since each of these individual activities can be done by anyone and creativity is them being done in aggregate A 2012 Adobe study on creativity shows only one in four people believe they are living up to their own creative potential. This is a key indicator of why falling rates of entrepreneurship mirror falling creativity rates. Globalized business is accelerating the complexity of our problems, and we lack the skills to understand these systems and to synthesize solutions to them. However, if we can learn to unlock our creativity and further to implement the innovations we generate, we can create ventures which have an exponential impact over what was possible in our more nationalized past. Tools are the Wheel of Life Assessment Tool, The Artist's Way, a book, and specifically in that, the Morning Page Tool, the Clean Sweep Program, and the Innovator Competency Map. Skill four, people management. There are two components of people management. People, this means emotional quotient, inspiring, motivating, encouraging, and leading. And to management, this means hiring, firing, training, disciplining, evaluating, and directing. These two uh, components may seem at odds but the effective manager expertly balances both as they move their team towards their goal. That may be as a representative of a corporation attempting to meet some strategic goal, or as an individual entrepreneur leading those around them towards some desired end state. The main job to be done by the people manager is drawing out the best of the people around them. Top to bottom, organizational leaders enable success. Effective people managers balance cooperation, respect, self-motivation, and trust. Inherent to leading others is leading oneself. Thus, the effective people manager knows their internal rhythms. They've aligned their actions with their goals and harness the discipline required to weather the ups and downs of any big, hairy, audacious goal. To some, imagine you're sitting in your office. A star employee walks in. They've been offered a better position at a rival firm. They're thinking of taking it, but they wanted to check in with you first. You need to lead this situation to create the best outcome for yourself, your company, and the star employee. How do you respond? Number two, your CFO walks in. They say you're not going to meet some financial target for this period. You've got to roll up your sleeves and manage this situation. In both cases, action is required of you, yet the situations are drastically different. One requires leadership, the other management, yet both can occur for an entrepreneur in a given day, and you must be an expert at both. Tools for this skill are 360-degree feedback, the 12 mental models, NLP perceptual positions, CPQQRT task assigning framework, and the understanding behavior. Skill 5, coordinating with others. People management inherently has power imbalances: manager and employee, team leader and team member. The most powerful entrepreneurs know how to operate when they're on either side of the equation and when they're balanced with their peer. This could be a fellow manager or entrepreneur. It could be an investor, partner or stakeholder in your field. The point here isn't looking out at the world and seeing a hierarchy. It's about recognizing when there are mutual dependencies or when those dependencies are one sided or situation specific. For example, employees rely on employers for income, while employers rely on employees for output, whereas fellow entrepreneurs may rely on each other for mutual benefits to their business model. That's what coordinating with others is all about, understanding other people and having the tools to manage mutually dependent relationships. The tools for this are Enneagrams, the Myers-Briggs 16 personality type framework, Hofstede's cultural, 6 cultural dimensions, and the 8 steps of change model. Skill 6, Emotional Intelligence. Emotional intelligence is being able to understand and manage the emotions of yourself and others. It includes three key skills. Emotional awareness, knowing when and what feelings are present in ourselves and others, which includes emotional literacy, which is being able to label these emotions and act upon them. At its highest level, one can anticipate emotions from external and internal stimulus and thus regulate them over time. Two is harnessing emotions. After awareness and literacy or recognizing and understanding comes acting on emotions to enable healthy relationships with others and with ourselves. Once we control our emotions, we can lead interaction with others, diffuse tense situations, and generally lead those around us in a mutually beneficial way. And three is managing emotions. <clears throat> the culmination of the previous two skills is being able to anticipate, understand, harness, and then manage emotions proactively. Instead of reacting, we respond with the appropriate emotion. You need calm to focus on some task. The emotional manager can regulate the internal states to create that emotional presence. The same applies for creating enthusiasm for a task in one's team. Imagine a customer calls you. They're upset. An order they were relying on was late, and they lost a client as a result. They've been a loyal customer for years, and you've let them down. It may or may not have been your fault or the fault of someone in your company, but they're an ally, a friend, and a customer. An entrepreneur with a high emotional intelligence can handle this situation, and the tools for this skill are mood gym. Skill seven, judgment and decision-making. Judgment and decision-making is a combination of complex problem-solving, critical thinking, creativity, people management, coordination, and emotional intelligence. It's being able to analytically assess a given situation, understand the implications, recognize the scope and possibilities, harness your organizational resources both internally and externally, and oversee the solutions implementation. This is an extremely hard thing to do consistently and requires great mental discipline, willpower, and focus. The most effective entrepreneurs do this daily. They escape the trap of putting out the day's fires and instead focus on solving the organization's highest level problems. The ones you can't see today, these are the problems firms are running towards without realizing. Problems like Kodak not realizing it was missing the digital revolution, or perhaps Facebook missing its chance to proactively tackle its data privacy issues. The point here is that these and any other organization's leaders need to harness these entrepreneurial skills to proactively confront the impending problems unique to their value proposition. Skill eight is service orientation. Service orientation is defined as the ability to and desire to anticipate, recognize, and meet others' needs, sometimes even before those needs are articulated. From the perspective of an organizational leader, I think the conversation around service orientation should focus on servant leadership. The phrase servant leadership was coined by Robert K. Greenleaf's 1970 essay, The Servant as Leader. And I quote, the difference manifests itself in the care taken by the servant first to make sure that other people's highest priority needs are being served. The best test and difficult to administer is, do those served grow as persons? Do they, while being served, become healthier, wiser, freer, more autonomous, more likely themselves to become servants? And what is the effect on the least privileged in society? Will they benefit or at least not be further deprived? As a perspective on leadership, this concept is groundbreaking. Generally, we think of organizations as benefiting those in the highest positions the most, the CEO is paid the most, and then the benefits trickle down. Servant leadership flips this hierarchy upside down. The CEO is responsible to the most people. They above all others need to help the most people, self-actualize, support their families, and rise rise above their economic station. Those in the most junior positions have the most people encouraging them and seeking to help them become better servants themselves as they grow and flourish. Think about the diagram above again. Instead of organizational waste products like blame, busy work, and making coffees, those in the bottom were instead covered in encouragement, learning opportunities, meaningful work, and care for their home lives and emotional health. In that world, organizations would come to resemble families more than machines. This is what Frederick Lelot calls a teal organization and his insightful work reinventing organizations. The moment an innovation consultancy founded by shifting their company to teal. They created more purpose, balanced decision-making, and transparency. Ask yourself as you work moving forward, in this moment, am I acting as a servant or as a power leader? And tools for this are Level 5 Leadership, the Value and Business Model canvases, Transformational Leadership Model, and the Path-Goal Theory of Leadership. Skill 9, Negotiation. Negotiation is the process by which parties mediate differences. Ideally, compromise or agreements are reached, which avoid arguments and dispute. The principles driving negotiation are fairness, mutual benefit, and maintaining relationships. To effectively negotiate, a leader needs a clear understanding of their current position as well as their desired outcome. This path creates their strategy. Imagining an actual path, both parties are moving along, we can imagine negotiation as the process where two parties with crossing paths compromise so as to both deviate from their separate paths as little as possible. In this model, it's obvious transparency, trust, and mutual understanding are paramount to becoming enablers and not obstacles to each other's paths. This holds true anywhere in life, whether it's romantic relationships, friendships, peers, or family. We're constantly negotiating our desires, beliefs, hopes, and uncertainties with those of the people around us. Whether we choose to act as allies and mutual enablers is up to each of us. By taking the high road and being the first to operate openly, you create a space where others can follow your lead. Try it. As you negotiate your unique path, attempt to understand the paths of those around you, how they align with yours, and how as partners you can help each other to better move along your separate paths together. Tools for this are the Conflict Process Model, 5 Conflict Handling Styles, Zone of Possible Agreement, and the Communication Process Model. Skill 10 is Cognitive Flexibility, which has two components. The ability to switch between thinking about two different concepts and the ability to think about multiple concepts simultaneously. Here's an example. An image contains two concepts organized by two categories, color and object type. It's a matrix. Someone who's cognitively flexible can separate the concept from the specific implementation So, if they see a blue cat, a blue lollipop, a yellow cat, and a yellow candy, um, they can separate the blue from the cat, and then recombine or pull new concepts into new objects, like a blue dog or a grey cat. Cognitive flexibility draws both on one's critical thinking, what is and isn't, and their creativity, what could be. As an entrepreneur, you are constantly switching between different tasks and dealing with different variations of similar problems. The more you can reduce your cognitive switching cost and better synthesize new solutions from varying fields and disciplines the better equipped you are to operate in an environment of uncertainty and speed as most entrepreneurs do tools for this are just read books um, one of many brain training apps fluid versus crystallized intelligence and environments as a factor in intelligence so we've arrived to recap the 10 skills you should develop there are complex problem solving critical thinking creativity people management coordinating with others emotional intelligence judgment, decision-making, service orientation, negotiation, and cognitive flexibility. Each of these skills can be trained and developed, but it requires dedication, self-confidence, and trust in others. My advice for getting started? Pick an ambitious project for your spare time and get cracking. You'll find that by working on a complex, enjoyable project, for instance, I'm building a hydroponic lettuce garden, you'll naturally employ most or all of these skills and will become a more effective leader and happier, more interesting person as a result. So, what project are you working on? Thanks.